Okay. So yesterday is the 4th of July. Uh, our country celebrated over 235 years of independence. That's, that's a big deal, Independence Day. Um, you know, what happened back then, in case you slept all the way through every history class you ever had, <laughs> was that this nation was a bunch of colonies along the, the Atlantic Ocean, and, and they, they said to their king, we don't like the way you're running things, and we can do better ourselves. They declared their independence. They stepped out. Yeah, hey, if, you, if you're into that, yeah, I'm into that, yeah. Uh, it, it was a good thing, but it was a very dangerous step. Okay, in, in a moment, specifically at the signing of the Declaration of Independence that we celebrate on the 4th of July, an entire two, some two and a half million people suddenly became enemies of their king. They became the rebels, okay? And, you know, Darth Vader over there in England was going to send all of his forces to kill them. And that was, at that time, the largest, most powerful army in the world, all right, so, so what I want to talk to you guys today about is, is Daniel chapter 1. Um, the book of Daniel, I think this is a great place to learn lessons about living behind enemy lines. When those men signed the Declaration of Independence, they created an enemy line. Their entire world became, they, they, they were all behind enemy lines, suddenly. And, and the army was going to be out to get them. And it took quite a few years for them to survive that. And they did, and we're here today, and that's wonderful. Um, biblically, spiritually, there's a step that we take in our growth and our maturity as Christians where we do the same thing. And it's that step in 1 John chapter 2, it talks about children in Christ, you get it, you're saved, you're a believer, and then you become young men. And that's that line, that's what we're going to talk about today, that line from child to young man, okay, in your walk, in your faith. And that step usually involves stepping behind enemy lines or recognizing that you're behind enemy lines. That's what I want to talk to you about today in, in Daniel. In Scripture, young men uh, first mention Genesis 14, and Abram, the guy who God would rename Abraham, has to go rescue his wayward nephew Lot who got captured, and it's a war, it's a battle, and the young men are gung-ho. Let's go, let's do this. Okay? And you guys have seen those young men. We, we have them in here. The, where's the well? There they are. Yes, these are our young men and women. All right, and, and watch. They'll go out, and they're, you know, they're texting me, hey, you want to go witness to people? And I know they have no fear of going out and, and jumping into battle, whether or not they understand what they're doing. That's awesome. And the young men went with Abram and dove into the war. And at the end of the Bible in, in 1 John chapter 2, we see the young men, and they're strong. They've overcome the wicked one. All right, they're willing to jump into untested waters, untried paths. But, but what happens the first time you do that? The, the first time you try something new, all right? Think about this in terms of leaving home for the first time, starting a new job for the first time, especially your first job, especially your first job when you're not living with your parents anymore, <laughs> right? And there, there's nobody to go back to to cry about. Think about this going away to college. Uh, that's especially pertinent to me because I spent a long time in that world. Um, you know, moving away to college, going and living away from home for the first time, and being trapped there. You can't go home anytime soon. Um, you know, it, it's, it's something like that to go here to the, uh, to the Twig, Kent State. But imagine doing it hundreds of miles from home, thousands of miles from home. All right, that first shock, that newness of working without a safety net. In Daniel chapter 1, we're going to meet four young men, children really, who are going to be thrust, they're going to be shoved into that next stage of life. They're captured, they're taken to the enemy's stronghold. 
All right, we're going to learn from them today about being behind enemy lines. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for, I thank you for your son. I thank you that, that you sent him to live a holy life totally behind enemy lines and, and, and never mess up and never sin and then take on sin for us. I thank you so much for doing that and, and then defeating death, and that's enough right there. I thank you for your spirit that teaches us the word. I thank you for your word. And I just beg you that uh, today you'd use me as your vessel to proclaim your truth and that your spirit would teach the hearts of the men and women here and, and change them and give, make them better prepared to do battle. And if anyone here doesn't understand this today, that their hearts would be pricked and they would be desperate to know you, to know your saving grace. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, Daniel chapter 1, verse 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, into Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with part of the vessels of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his God, and he brought the vessels into the treasure house of his God. All right, the first step here. You're behind enemy lines. You have to recognize that there is a war going on. You cannot be clueless here. You have to identify the overall war. There's a battle here. The first two verses of Daniel are our introduction. They set our context. I'm going to give you a history lesson. Don't fall asleep, high school. Okay? So, so how did we come to this? Who are these people? Who, who's Jehoiakim? And how do I pronounce his name? And Nebuchadnezzar, that one's even longer. What's going on? with? Okay? It, what's happened is for nearly a thousand years... God's people, the nation of Israel, have had their own nation state, their homeland, a sovereign state, like the United States of America, we're sovereign states, okay? That's a long time. U.S., 230-some years, we're not that old, nearly a thousand years. It's one of the most important periods of history the world has ever known, and we don't study it a whole lot in school. Think about that. But at the end of that, God has said, that's enough, you guys haven't been listening to me for a really long time. I'm going to judge you now. It starts uh, over a century before the days of Daniel. Okay, the, what had happened, uh, King David, the second king of the nation, his kids, Solomon, his son, Rehoboam, he messed up. The kingdom split into northern kingdom Israel, southern kingdom Judah. And the northern kingdom was judged over, over 100 years before the days of Daniel and is gone. The Assyrian nation was used by God to take them out, completely gone. Judah survived that. Their king, Hezekiah, waited on God, was patient with God, expected salvation from God, and God provided. But Hezekiah made a mistake. After that, Hezekiah says, wow, this is awesome. And the king of Babylon sends some guys and says, hey, I heard, I heard you were sick and you got better. That's a whole story into itself. But things have been going really well for you. I just wanted to send my guys to say, say I'm, I'm, I'm praying for you. I don't know, the king of Babylon didn't pray to Jehovah God, but... He sends these emissaries, and, and Hezekiah shows them everything. He shows off all the stuff God had given him. And God sends the prophet Isaiah to say, Hezekiah, what are you doing? You don't get it. They're going to go back and tell him about all this stuff. And God tells him, all right, everything they saw, they're going to come back for eventually. They're going to come take it all. They're going to take it all away. So Hezekiah says, but not in my day. Not in my lifetime, right? No, not in your lifetime. Okay, I'm good with that. Not a whole lot of forethought there. Not a lot of care for his, his descendants, but whatever. It's been that time now. God is, God is judging the nation of Judah, the southern kingdom now. And he's using, just like he used Assyria to judge the north, he's using Babylon to judge the south. 
That's where we're at. You have to know the time of battle. That's, that's the when, okay, of this, of this war. You have to understand that. Daniel and, his, and the guys we're going to read about, they had to understand that. Because here's the reality. If, if they don't recognize that the war they're in is one they can't possibly win, what they're going to do is what the kings of Judah did. They kept rebelling against the Babylonians, and eventually it cost them everything. When God said, no, I'm just, you're getting a time out now. If you'll just stop, I won't spank you too hard. You just sit in the corner for five minutes without complaining, I won't spank you. Anybody here have that method with their kids? Right? Time out, five minutes in the corner. If you can't do time out, right, I'm going to spank you. That works for me sometimes. You know, but okay, fine. You won't sit in the corner, right? Then you're going to get spanked and go back in the corner and you're going to finish your time out. And God had told them it's going to be 70 years. You're going you're gonna to be in time. That's a really long time out. <laughs> they wouldn't listen. Daniel and his friends have to recognize they can't get out of this. They have to see when they are at. They're, they're, the kingdom of Babylon is going to take over. You can't change that. We have to recognize when we are at. The Bible tells us that we are, are Christians. It, it tells us that we are the bride of Christ in Ephesians. You understand that we don't fight for a physical kingdom. The United States of America is one of the most important nations in history. We are a, a symbol to the rest of the world of, of what things can look like through democracy, and it's mostly good, not all. <laughs> but the reality is the United States of America isn't God's nation of Israel, and we're not God's holy kingdom. The church, the people who choose, who choose Christ, who live inside the United States and Canada and Mexico and London and Albania and anywhere, that's the church. Recognize when you are at. You, you, you have to understand that because you're in a war, okay? You, you may not understand this. Maybe you do. But you're, you're in the middle of a huge, huge battle, a spiritual battle, not a physical one. Okay? There's a war going on, and, and, and we don't always see it. Interestingly, God shows Daniel this war. Uh, listen to Daniel chapter 13. This is much later in the life of Daniel. But God, God lets him see the battle that we're in for a moment. Daniel chapter 13, verse 10. And behold, an hand touched me, which set me upon my knees and upon the palms of my hands. And he said unto me, O Daniel, a man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak unto thee, and stand upright, for unto thee am I now sent. And when he had spoken this word unto me, I stood trembling. Then said he unto me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that thou didst set thine heart to understand and to chasten thyself before thy God, thy words were heard, and I am come for thy words. Daniel spent the last three weeks of his life before this day praying and fasting, not eating for three weeks. Anybody here going two days without eating? A week, three weeks, no McDonald's, okay? No, three weeks without eating. He's kind of tired. He basically falls over and faints, and God sends an angel to him to tell him, look, I've been trying to get to you since the day you started praying. What, what was in your way? Verse 13, the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me one in 20 days. Oh, the whole time, I was being, who's this prince of the kingdom of Persia fighting an angel? Lo, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, and I remained there with the kings of Persia. Michael, that's Michael the archangel, 
the, the warrior angel of God who serves God. Now I am come to make thee understand what shall befall thy people in the latter days, for yet the vision is for many days. Okay, Daniel, I, I, there was a fight. I had to call in the big guns. Michael came in with the sword, you know, and, and took him. He's Rambo, whoever, who, I don't know who the latest action hero is, but that's Michael and then some. And, and he, there's a supernatural war going on around us, in the heavens above us. It was going on back then in the days of Daniel. It's fought between angelic beings that we generally can't see, Okay, and, and they have kingdoms and dominions that correspond to the earthly world around us. And this may sound a little crazy, like something out of a sci-fi movie, but this is Bible. It's in the New Testament too. Colossians 1.16, For by him, Jesus Christ, were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. There are visible and invisible thrones and dominions and principalities and powers. In Colossians 2, 15, 13 through 15, God tells us a little more about this. He tells us that in, in Christ's death on the cross, in Christ's burial, in his resurrection, and in his saving men and women through his sacrifice, he proved his superiority to all those other principalities and powers and kingdoms and dominions. And you... Colossians 2.13, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespass, blotting out the handwriting of ordinance that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. That's what he's done for you. If you accept his sacrifice on the cross, he takes all of your sins, all of your failures, all of your errors, all of the things you've done against him, and nails it to his cross, and he's not on it anymore. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Do you understand that God likes to show you off? Hey, you, angel, who doesn't want to listen to what I have to say, yeah, I made you and you're not listening to me, I'm your creator. Look what I did. I got on a cross. I, God, got up on a cross. I died for those human beings down there, the things that I made out of mud, and now I'm going to let them come be with me someday in heaven. Understand the time. Understand our time, this life, is short, and someday it's over and eternity is what you're really playing for. That heavenly war that's going on up there, someday we're going to join it. That's awesome. That's amazing. That, that he's going to put us on the front lines of the battle someday, in some capacity, but not now. Okay? Ephesians 3.10, Paul says it again, to the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. That war that's going on between those supernatural powers, God's constantly using us and the things we do on earth to show to the powers that, that are fighting up there somewhere that he is smarter than they are. God's chosen humans to do this. It, it's amazing. It's kind of hard to understand sometimes. But we're not the great powers in the war. Okay? We're, we're, we're the pawns on the chessboard. Okay? Any chess players in here? First pieces to die. The pawns, right? Ah, whatever, I lost a pawn. I've got umpteen more, right? Yeah. Okay, They've got to, they have to understand. We have to understand that. We have to know when we are, okay? The nation of Israel as a whole, the kingdom of Judah, didn't understand when they were. And God had told them and told them and told them when they were. Daniel could have figured this out, though. In, right before the time of Daniel, you, have, you had Isaiah over a century before, and then in the days of Daniel, you had a prophet, Jeremiah. Okay, and, and what happens is 
through these prophets, if you're paying attention to them, Daniel had Isaiah, and later on he got Jeremiah. You can figure out exactly what God was doing and why he's doing this right now. In Isaiah chapter 48, verses 1 through 11, God tells them, this is what I'm going to do and why. Okay? You don't understand. Uh, let, let me explain this to you. All right, and I'm, I'll read a little bit of it to you here. Um, Hear ye this, O house of Jacob, which are called by the name of Israel, and are come forth out of the waters of Judah, which swear by the name of the Lord, and make mention of the God of Israel, but not in truth nor in righteousness. The nation of Israel, the kingdom of Judah, the southern kingdom, was full of people who with their mouths said, Yes, Jehovah God is the only God. Serve him. Go to the temple. Do your sacrifices. All that stuff. Yes, with their mouth. They swore by the name of the Lord, but not in truth. In their hearts, in their private lives, when no one was looking, they were going and doing whatever they wanted to. Again, the, the time, the when of this. It's just after King Josiah. King Josiah is the greatest king of, of Israel after King David. Amazing guy. He, he finds the law, as a teenager, he finds the law, the, the Old Testament, Genesis through Deuteronomy at least, and he says, wow, these things say that if we disobey God, he's going to wipe us off the face of the, the, the nation. He's going to send us into captivity. He's going to use us, use our downfall to show the rest of the world that he's, that he's God. And Josiah says, I'm so sorry that we've done that, even though he didn't do it himself personally. He gets on his knees, he repents for his kingdom, and he goes out and finds all the idols and all the idol worshipers and all of the witches and warlocks and all of the stuff that is wrong against God's word, and he does exactly what God's word said to do with it. He burns it, he trashes it, he kills it, he wipes it out. On the surface, Josiah had completely destroyed everything God said to destroy. An amazing guy. But men can't change the hearts of men. Only God does that. Josiah cleaned up the outside of Israel, of the nation of Judah. He couldn't clean up the inside. And when Josiah died, his own sons were part of the problem. Three sons, Jehoahaz, Jehoiakim, the guy in the beginning here, and Zedekiah. And each of them fails to follow in their father's footsteps. So, what's God going to do? Isaiah 48 again, God says, I've declared the former things from the beginning, and they came to pass. Why did he do that? Because I knew that thou art obstinate. Okay? Anybody have a kid who's bullheaded, just like a mule, it doesn't matter what you say, they're going to get a beating because that's the only way you're going to get through to them. And, and not beating, beating, okay, but, you know, discipline, loving discipline. I, I know where we live and when. <laughs> what, he's, I, I tell you stuff's going to happen because, before it happens, okay? Because, other, because you're stubborn. You're stiff-necked, and, it, you know, you don't listen. And here's why. Lest thou shouldest say, mine idol hath done them, my graven image, my molten image hath commanded them. I tell you it's going to happen before it happens, so you can't say that that rock or metal or tree did it. Because that's ridiculous. Behold, he goes on and says, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to send Babylon to take you out. I've refined thee, not with silver. I've chosen thee in the furnace of affliction. Understand the time. And for the nation of Israel, <laughs> it was a time of affliction. For 70 years, they were going to be captives they were going to be underneath the power of another kingdom. They were going to not be able to say what they wanted to say, do what they wanted to do. Understand our time. We are in a, in a spiritual battle, battle, a greater warfare, okay? And it's not with 
earthly kings and earthly kingdoms. Ephesians 6.12, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. It's a spiritual battle. All right. Specifically, anybody in here going into college? I want to talk to everybody who's stepping out into faith. I want to talk to everybody who's stepping out in a new direction, who's stepping behind enemy lines, but especially kids going to college because I know exactly what you're going through because I went through it a couple times. And here's the deal. The book of Daniel is part of the battle, and you will probably see it firsthand at some point if you go to a college. The sad reality is that although most colleges and universities in the United States were founded as places to train pastors and missionaries once upon a time, today they're known for parties and putting out duplicitous politicians and thieving businessmen. That's the reputation of our colleges and universities. Greedy people, you know, from the rest of the world looks at us and says, I want to send my kids there so they can learn how to make money. They don't send them here so they can learn how to be righteous people. Okay? You know what? And, and here's what they've done in those places that used to train pastors and missionaries. They've taken the word of God and said, that's not true. The book of Daniel specifically, they've, they've said, well, that can't possibly be true. Well, why not? Because at the end of the book of Daniel, there's all these prophecies that are very, very specific and very precise, and they say exactly which king would come and when his kingdom would come and the order of the kingdoms. And it's perfect. It's amazing. It's stunning. Gentile, non-Jewish people would read the book of Daniel, and historians, they would say, wow, this is me. Hey, how did I get in this book? Who are these Jewish people? Who's, who's Daniel? It's just so perfect that modern historians, the last hundred years, have said, well, Daniel couldn't have been written 600 B.C. or so. There's no way anyone could possibly know the future that well. Oh, I don't know God. <laughs> they don't believe God wrote it. They don't believe Daniel wrote it. Jesus said Daniel wrote it. Matthew 24, 15, he says Daniel wrote Daniel. Ezekiel, a prophet, most people don't have a problem with him living when he said he lived. You know, they, he said Daniel was, he, first person says Daniel is wise and pure. Ezekiel 14, Ezekiel 28. So either the Bible is a lie and Jesus is a liar or a nutcase, or the Bible is true and all the people who tell you that the Bible isn't are the liars or the nutcases. You go off to college, you're going to have to recognize that. Because the people who train you may really know their stuff in chemistry, in biology. They might. They really might. In math. In history. Except when it comes to this book. The wise become very foolish. Know the time you're living in. You step behind enemy lines and you go into a college. You're living in a time when colleges are not places where they train pastors and missionaries with the word of God. Not for the most part. Not for the vast majority. And questioning God's word isn't anything new, right? Genesis 3. Serpent. Yea, hath God said. All right. So you know, you know when you are. You know, the place, you, know, you know the time of the battle. You need to know the place of the battle. All right. Look in here. We have Jerusalem and we have Babylon. Jerusalem should have been the place of strength. It was a stronghold. It was a walled city. The barbarians come in and attack. Everybody go hide in the city of Jerusalem. The king will send out the army and protect us and everything will be good. And not so much. The days of Josiah, true, until Josiah died in battle against the king of Egypt, doing exactly that. And then his sons, no. Jerusalem is the place of the temple. 
That's the house. God said, 1 Kings 9.3, to Solomon when he built the temple, I've hallowed this house which thou hast built to put my name there forever, and mine eyes and mine heart shall be here perpetually. I'm going to put my name here in Jerusalem, in that temple. Okay, and God says about his name, Proverbs 18.10, that his name is a strong tower, and the righteous run into it, and they're safe. Jerusalem should have been the safest place on earth. The place where God puts his name and God has his temple should be the safest haven you can possibly find anywhere. God says we are his temple. Christians, you should be the safest people on the planet. You should be the most harmless people. The lost world should never look at us and rightly say that we are dangerous to them physically. Spent a thousand years of history in the Western civilization of people looking at Christians and going, yeah, they kill people they don't agree with. That should never have been us, whether it was true Christians or not. That shouldn't be who we're known as. There's other religions out there that is what they're known for, and they're proud of that. That should never be us. The lost, the things, the evil they do, their hearts will prick them. Their conscience will tell them they're wrong. And you get around them and you live a righteous life, they're going to feel judged by you because you're a light, and they're in darkness. They shouldn't feel attacked by you because they're sinners. It's who we were till Christ saved us. We should be a safe haven for people to come and be rescued. We shouldn't be attacking the people we're supposed to be rescuing. It doesn't mean that you don't judge sin, <laughs> but you don't beat up on the sinners. Jerusalem should have been a safe place. God said it's not. Psalm 80 and Psalm 89, he says, I've broken down the hedge of protection. I'm de- Jerusalem, I'm taking away my protections. What happens to a city when it's under siege? Okay, he came, Nebuchadnezzar came and he put the city under siege. You read history and you find out. A city under siege is not a fun place to be. Uh, cities under attack became disease-ridden, starvation centers. You run out of food, you run out of water. You, you have, if it doesn't rain, you really run out of water. And the water you have becomes stagnant. If it just sits around, it becomes a very dangerous place to be. Ultimately, we read the Bible. Sometimes a city under siege would eventually be a place where people start killing each other for food. Ugh. That's gross. Should be. That's, that's, that's terrifying. It's despair. It, it's the worst of the worst. So what happens to, to forestall that fate, the king would often say, hey, you're attacking and sieging my city. What can I give you to go away? Okay? The king of Jerusalem, Jehoiakim, does this. He says, here, Nebuchadnezzar, what can I give you to make you go away? I'll give you my allegiance. I'll give you some, what do you want? Do you want some stuff out of the temple? Have some stuff out of the temple. Go ahead. Here you go. All right? There's stuff in there made of gold and silver and precious stones. You take that. You want some people? I got some nice-looking people over here. You just take them with you, okay? Just don't starve us. That, that's what happened. Okay? The place of battle, a place that should be safe, becomes a place that is, that is dangerous and terrifying. What happens when you get attacked in life? What happens when you step out in faith and you get smacked by the world? What will you give away so the world will be nice to you? What, which of your convictions will you let go of so that the attack stops, for, so you get, a, you get a, a respite from people beating up on you? So they go from Jerusalem, which isn't so safe, to Babylon. 
Amazing place. Babylon is one of the wonders of the ancient world. This gigantic city with huge walls. You could have, it's, it's similar to Jericho in the Bible. It's giant walls. You could race chariots. People could live in the walls. They're so big and thick. It has this huge ziggurat, this pyramid with steps instead of straight sides and gigantic. It has giant statues made of pure gold. I mean, this is an amazing place. It has gardens built by Nebuchadnezzar. They're called hanging gardens. They were built on terraces and hanging, and he built them supposedly for his wife. He's like, oh, my wife likes plants. We'll just make, you know, a city of plants. That's what rich kings did when you can make everybody do what you want. It's an amazing place, right? A great place to live if you're not a prisoner of war. The Hebrews were taken there, and yes, Babylon's a safer place than Jerusalem had become, except they had to do whatever the king said. And if the king says he wants your kids, or he wants your wife, he takes them. And you can't complain, or you're dead, too. And that ziggurat, well, that was the place where they worshipped false idols. And those, those statues of gold, well, those were the idols. The people, remember, in their hearts, in the reign of Josiah, they were duplicitous. They were hiding. Their, their, they were faking everybody out. God says, be sure your sins will find you out. Okay, So what they dabbled in, what they played at, God said, is that what you really want? Let me send you to Babylon. Let me show you what this is really like. Okay, You'll live in the heart of idol worship in the ancient world. All right? God told, God told them, you, you go ahead. You've spent a th- nearly a thousand years. You go off, you serve false gods, you do what you want, and then the, whenever bad stuff happens to you, you come crying to me. You know what? I'm done with that. You go live there where the false idols are really, they're, they're the supposed gods. You live where, where I'm not there for you to come running to physically for 70 years. And you see how you really like it. Amazing thing. Since the captivity in Babylon, the nation of Israel, what's left of the Hebrew people, have not had problems with idol worship. That spanking worked for that specific problem. So that Babylon is, is this place, it, and it's, it's the heir to the Tower of Babel in Genesis. It's the, the center of the false religious system. In Revelation, we, we learn about Mystery Babylon as well. It's, it's a false religious system that the whole world is going to be fooled by. You step out, and you start meeting people. See, see, our kids, we protect them, hopefully a little bit. They step out, and they start meeting people, and they find out, that guy doesn't believe exactly what I believe. We need this book to tell us where we're right and wrong. Without it, we all create little confusing Babylons in our hearts. Little false religious systems. The further you get away from this book, the more you get like Mystery Babylon, the the great disaster in Revelation. So, what, what does that do? It means that all these people who don't have Christ in their hearts... They have their little Babylons, their false religious systems. They're dead in their sins. They're blind, spiritually blind. Ephesians 2, 1 and 2. We're supposed, we're supposed to give them the light and get them out of those systems. How are you going to do that if you don't know why you believe what you believe? Going off to college? What are you going to do when they tell you that Allah is just Jesus? Or that Jesus didn't really die on the cross? Or that, you know, Buddha and Jesus taught the same thing. Do you know why you believe what you believe? Do you really know your Bible? Do you understand <laughs> where you are? You live in a world full of false religions. Do you know why you believe what you believe? Parents, 
you're not off the hook by any stretch, right? Because I'm a parent, so I'm going to yell at me. How you doing? How are we doing? Are we creating homes of protection? I don't mean homes of ignorance. Daniel knew, he'd read Isaiah. He, he knew a good bit about the false religious system. It's why he makes some of the decisions he makes. But have you protected, are you protecting your kids from the false religious system out there? And, and really what that means is you don't, it's not not telling them about the rest of the world. It's giving them a guide that will show them what's right and what's wrong with the rest of the world. You know, those of you who are doing that, God bless you. Pray for the rest of us. We're trying. All right? Young people, if your homes haven't been a protective place, if you haven't been given the word of God by your parents, if your parents are part of the problem, I'm sorry for you. I apologize on behalf of, of parents who failed their kids. Please forgive us all. We're humans too. Understand that, that God loves kids and... <laughs> He, he said that anybody who, who hurts a child, it'd be better for them to have a millstone, that's a big grinding stone, put around their necks and have them thrown into the sea than to meet up with Jesus someday when he judges everyone. God loves you. He doesn't want you to have any hurt and any pain. He doesn't want anybody to do damage to children. But it happens because men choose to disobey God. You're on your own. Whether you're on your own at 14, 16, 18, 22, 24, 85, I don't know. No matter where you came from, how will you do when you're bombarded with confusion of false religions? For Daniel, that means fighting against this idolatry thing. For us, it, it's fighting against those false religious systems that we create. 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. It's our job, believers, to pull down the strongholds of imaginations that put anything above the knowledge of God. And it starts inside us. And as Americans, we have a very specific battle on that front. Our nation is all about rights, the rights of the people. If you've been here long enough, you've heard about Laodicea, and the word means the rights of the people, and that's the church age we live in. You don't need to know all that to just go out there on the 4th of July and look at people who want to shoot fireworks whenever they want to, even if they're shooting them at their neighbor's house. I, it's my right to shoot off those fireworks and call the fire department because I shot them in your window. We're, we're really into that. Rights of the people. You go back, though, 200 and some years ago, and you know what? They said, yes, we want radical personal liberty. We also want radical personal responsibility. And they made laws tied to the word of God. And our nation isn't that nation anymore. Oh, there's bits and pieces of that, and it's why it's still a cool place to live. And I'd rather be here than most of the places I visited. But Americans, we have a specific stronghold to battle. We think we're the center of the universe, and we're not. We want to, everyone to play with all of the toys, and nobody will put them away. We want to do whatever we want with whomever we want to do it with. No consequences. 
Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm speaking in this building, and most of you, I don't live like that. But you're fighting. You have spent your whole life, whether you know it or not, fighting that part of your identity. And young people, you're going to fight it harder than anybody else before you because more and more the media and your education system and the teachers themselves are telling you you have the right to fill in the blank. They wouldn't, they wouldn't leave the blank empty if, if you said, oh, I have the right to go burn your house down. No, you don't have that right. But you said I have the right to... Well, that's ridiculous. Rights without responsibilities, that's ridiculous. And for each of us, we have individual strongholds in our lives. Individual places, individual Babylons that we have to identify, we have to know where we are at, and we have to do battle. And ultimately, we've got we to gotta tend those things get on our knees and give them to God and say, God, I just identified this. This is, this is my stronghold. My time is, I think it's my time. I, I think I should get to watch TV when I want to watch TV. I think I should get to go hang out with my friends when I want to go hang out with my friends. And you know what, God? My time is not my time. It's yours. Know the when. Know the where. Know the who. Know the combatants. Okay, why, why, why Josiah's sons? Jehoiakim comes to the throne after his brother Jehoahaz. Jehoahaz had been de- deposed by God through the king of Egypt in 2 Kings 23. Jehoiakim does worse than his brother. In Jeremiah 26, you can find this. Jehoiakim, God sends a prophet, Uriah, and he says, Jehoiakim, hey, look, God's going to judge the people by Babylon, okay? And you're going to be captive. But if you do what God said, you still get to be king and the nation will still exist, and God won't completely destroy everything, okay? Just, just let the Babylonians be in charge, pay them tribute, do what you got to do, just do it God's way, all right? Jehoiakim's response to the prophet, takes a sword, kills him. Great guy. Jeremiah comes and says exactly what the other guy said, and Jehoiakim says, where's my sword? And, and you know what's interesting? You know, this come, happens right after the kingdom of Josiah. These are his kids who are reigning. And some of the nobles step up and say, hey, he did that to Uriah. Hold up, don't kill Jeremiah. And they stop the king. All right? You know what? You, you need to identify who's around you. Most of the world is full of evil, wicked people who need Jesus. Some of them aren't so bad. <laughs> they still need Jesus. And there's a few people called the church, your brothers and sisters in Christ, who you can depend on to stand up for you. But they're the minority. Christians, we are the minority. The nation of Israel was the minority. In Daniel's day, the, the people, the leaders especially, who would stand up for a prophet of God were the vast minority. And it's their kids who get taken away to Babylon, by the way. God didn't leave anybody reasonable back in the, in the nation after he ca- had everybody taken out by the Babylonians. Not everybody was equally bad as Je- Jehoiakim, but they were a mess. And you know what? Our nation, especially our colleges, universities, they're a lot like that today. Full of lost men and women. Some of them are half-decent people, still need Jesus. A few of them, a very tiny handful, will be believers. Oftentimes, keeping their faith a little close to the vest because they're worried about losing their jobs. Recognize you're behind enemy lines, okay? Recognize who the players are and recognize that ultimately this whole battle we've been talking about, it's not between you and the people in front of you. It's, it's heavenly powers and your real enemy is Satan. 
the devil. Name his adversary. And you know who the real enemy is here? It's Nebuchadnezzar. Now, God had let him temporarily take over Israel. And you know what? Right now, God has temporarily allowed Satan to be the God of this world. Little g, not big. Adam was given dominion in Genesis over the world. Adam sinned. The serpent got the title deed. I don't know how that one worked out. I haven't figured that out yet. It was a really bad land deal. The Native Americans could, could go complain about that one, you know, similar. Somebody got that. I, I heard a laugh down the front. It, it's Nebuchadnezzar. You know what, this guy? It, just, a, just a crazy thing here. You know, Satan's called Leviathan, the dragon, the serpent in Scripture. There's only one person by name called the dragon in the Bible. Nebuchadnezzar. He's a picture He's a picture of, of a false king who's going to come someday called the Antichrist, who's also called the dragon. But we don't have his name. We don't know who he'll be yet, but he's coming soon. We know that. He's a picture of Satan. Isaiah 14, the king of Babylon is identified with Lucifer. That's the name Satan used to have until he threw everything away. Satan used to be Lucifer, the light bearer. The anointed cherub, he stood before the throne of God and led the worship of the angelic beings. And then he decided, read Isaiah 14, he says, I will five times, and it's basically, I will be God. I'm so cool and awesome, I deserve your throne. And one third of the angelic host followed him. And that's the war. That's what's been going on. That's what Daniel got a glimpse of in Daniel 13. Ephesians 6.12 says that's our battle. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. That's our war. So we've identified the context. I know, two verses, and all I've got is context. All right, let's identify our personal position. Daniel chapter 1, verse 3. And the king spake unto Ahashpinaz, the master of his eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel and the king's seed and of the princes, children in whom was no blemish, but well-favored and skillful in all wisdom and cunning in knowledge and understanding science and such as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace and whom they might teach the learning in the tongue of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat and of the wine which he drank, so nourishing them three years that at the end thereof they might stand before the king. Now among these were children of Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, unto whom the prince of the eunuchs gave names, for he gave unto Daniel the name of Belteshazzar, and to Hananiah of Shadrach, and to Mishael of Meshach, and to Azariah of Abednego. Identify your personal position. What do you know about yourself and the people around you, really? Do you know your enemy? Do you understand who your real enemy is? But also, do you, do you understand that your enemy Next to you, on the bus drive, the lost person isn't really your enemy, but they're your enemy, but they're not your enemy, but they're your enemy. <laughs> Daniel is taken captive. Can't, he's told what he's going to do. Everything, his, man, his goals and mission in life, completely under somebody else's control. I'm not in charge of making the laws in this country. I have a vote, but it's one vote in 300 million people. I might still use it, but I'm not having a whole lot of hope it's going to sway the rest of the nation. I'm not in control, really. God ultimately is, but this guy next to me has the same vote I do, and he might think that he's the reincarnated Krishna. He has the same vote I've got, but he's not my enemy. The master of the eunuchs, he's not their enemy. He's just trying to do his job. He's just trying to survive in the world that he knows, and the world that he knows is Nebuchadnezzar. Let me tell you about Nebuchadnezzar. 
okay, you, you read 2 Kings, 2 Chronicles, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, and you find out a couple things about this guy. Here's what he does when people disobey him. Jehoiakim, you reign underneath my authority. After a few years, Jehoiakim says, I'm not going to do that. God told you to. Jeremiah said, God told you to. I'm not going to do that. Nebuchadnezzar comes back and says, fine. Kills him, throws his body over the wall, and leaves it out there for the animals to eat. Okay. Jehoiakim's brother Zedekiah takes over. For a couple years, he reigns. Then he says, I'm not going to do what you would. Zedekiah, hey, you've got to do what he said. God said, no, I'm not going to do. Nebuchadnezzar comes back and takes him, makes him stand and watch while he kills all of his family in front of him, then puts out his eyes and drags him back to Babylon. So the last thing the guy saw was his family being killed, but then he had to live a nice long life in captivity. Nice guy, Nebuchadnezzar. Oh, and he routinely threatened to cube people, dice them up. And he built a furnace one time to torch anybody, burn people alive if they didn't do what he said. Wonderful person, Nebuchadnezzar, right? The master of the eunuchs, um, he's just terrified that he's going to die if he doesn't do exactly what the king says. And if I were living under King Nebuchadnezzar, I'd be worried about what would happen to me if I didn't do what the king says. He's got a little bit of a temper. The lost people around you, they're not your enemies. They need the light of the gospel. And you know what? The God of this world, Satan, he hates them just as much as he hates you, pretty much. You he hates, (laughs) Christian, because you love Jesus. Them he hates because they could love Jesus. He wants us all dead. He hates us all. He wants us all to, to, you know, oh, God made hell for the angels. Okay, well, I want all the humans to go there too. Satan hates human beings. God made us out of dirt to replace him to give God worship. Satan hates us all. 2 Corinthians 4.4 tells us, the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. You want to help lost people in this world, you, you have to recognize they're the lost people of the world, and they need the light of the gospel that you have. So, do you, how are you going to do that? Well, you, you need to know the enemy. You need to know they need the gospel. You need to know yourself. Do you know the gospel? <laughs> you can't give it to them if you don't know, know what it is. Drowning people can't save drowning people. You're sitting in a church on Sunday morning. Do you know why? Do you know that Jesus Christ is God? That God became a human being, right? Christmas, became a baby. That he grew up. He didn't stay a baby. That he got up. He let people put him on a cross, a horrible, torturous way to die. Because we're sinners. Every one of us has done something that is wrong at some point. And if you can look me in the eye after this service and tell me you've never done anything wrong, ever, in your, with your body or in your mind, you're a liar. And you just don't know it yet, if you truly believe that. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Every one of us has sinned. You need to be saved from your sins, because the wages of sin is death, eternal death, eternal separation from God in a literal place called hell, where there's burning and darkness and terror and screaming but the good news is that Christ did die for our sins. And then after they took his dead body off the cross and buried him, he came back to life on the third day, and he's in heaven now, and everybody who chooses his sacrifice for their sins instead of trying to live their life for themselves can be with him someday. That's good news. That's the gospel. Do you know it? 
Is that the core of your identity? Is that who you are? And do you, are you able to give that to somebody else? You need to know yourself. You need to know Satan hates you, right? You need to know that you're a vessel. It, Nebuchadnezzar takes the vessels, right, the house of, out of the house of God and puts them in the house of his God, and he takes the young men, and there's a parallel there. The young men are like the vessels, all right? The, the Bible says that, that we're to be vessels, that we might make known the riches of God's glory, his glory, on the vessels of mercy that he hath afore prepared into glory, Romans 9, 23. We have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us, 2 Corinthians 4, 7. As we cleanse ourselves from this world and we are holy vessels for God, God shows us off, says, look at this pure thing that I made. Like a potter showing off a, a clay masterpiece. He says, look at this thing. I fill that with my mercy and, and share my mercy to the world through that guy. I fill that with my grace and share the, my grace to the world through that lady. That's who we're supposed to be. And for that reason, Satan wants to steal you and he can't change the vessel, the way the vessel was made. He can try and break you, but he can't change you. He wants to make you look like you belong in his house instead of God's. The vessels, these young men, let's take a look at the young men real quick here. <laughs> look at them. He asked, he asked this guy, Ashpinaz, for very specific traits. Okay? That they would be cunning in knowledge and have wisdom and understanding and ability and able to learn the tongue. and it, It's the abilities, it's the talents, it's the gifts that they have. Okay, all of us, after a certain point, our gifts are pretty set in stone. You know what you can and can't do. All the gifts that you have, everybody over the age of 30, you've got them, you know them, God wants to use them. Young people, you're still figuring out what they are. And here's the reality for you. You step out and you go to trade school, or you go to college, or you go to a new job, and you're figuring out what talents and abilities you have, God wants to use those. He wants you to develop them to the best and highest ability, whether it's music or painting, whatever it is, whether it's learning languages. Who's going to go tell people about the gospel in foreign countries if you don't learn a foreign language? Whatever it is you're good at, if you're really good at figuring out how machines work, People use machines at work, and so most of the people who use machines at work don't know Jesus. I'm not good with machines. I make them not work. We need the people who are good with machines to make them work, okay? Whatever skill or ability or talent or understanding you have, God wants to use it to put you in a place to give people the gospel, and Satan wants to take it and twist it and make it so that you are unfit to give the gospel. He wants to make you a hypocrite. How's he going to do that? You need to know your enemy's plans. This is how he's going to do that. All right, God has a plan for you to use you to give the gospel to the lost world. Satan wants to bust you up. David, King David in Psalm 31 calls himself a broken vessel. His enemies are attacking him. He says in, in Psalm 31, 12, I'm a forgotten as a dead man out of mind. I'm like a broken vessel. And here's how David deals with being bombarded with attacks, feeling like he's not going to be of any good. He says, into thine hand I commit my spirit. Thou hast redeemed me, O Lord God of truth. So you're being attacked and Satan's trying to mess you up. You give it to God. It's the same thing Jesus said in Luke 23, 46. Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. God knows. Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. He knows how it feels to be attacked by the world, to be attacked by the God of this world. 
But he chose to stay on the cross. He could have gotten down and said, that's it, I'm done, these humans aren't worth it, Satan, I'm taking you out, and the humans are all just going to go to hell, I'll start over. He didn't. Out of love, he took, he took the beating, and then he, he won, he took the victory after. Daniel's not in a position to attack his enemies physically. He's a kid, okay? It, look, at, look at what it calls him. A children in whom was no blemish. Children, he's a child. He's probably 12, 13 years old, somewhere right in there, on the verge of becoming a young man. What's he going to do in the middle of the most fortified city in the world at that day with a whole bunch of guards around him? Where's he going to go? Find a sharpened stick and try and stab somebody? I'll go back to Jerusalem. He has no power. He has no authority. Hey, guess what? Christians, what are you going to do? What, are you going to go out there and I command this fallen angel to come do battle with me? That's crazy talk. If they actually showed up, what would you do? There is occasionally a preacher on TV who does that kind of stuff. I'm just, one of these days, I'd like to know if once, you know, oh, they came. What'd they do? I'd like to see that on TV. That'd be, that'd be must-see TV right there. You know, they're, 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 they're immature kids. They don't, and so here's what Satan is going to do. They're away from home for the first time. They have no protection. They have no power. They have nothing, and Satan says, Nebuchadnezzar says, here, I'll take care of you. I'll be your dad. I'll feed you. I'll house you. I'll clothe you. I'll give you what you want. You just got to take what I give you. Take the meat from the king. Take the wine from the king. And, oh, and by the way, just take the name I give you. Names matter a lot in the Bible. God names Adam. God names specific people in Scripture. He renames people, Abram, Abraham, Sarai, Sarah. He names himself. Mary, you're going to have a baby. Call me Jesus. That's what he did. Names matter a lot to God. Names have meanings, all right? And, and you know what? Every Christian is in the name of Christ. That, that's your new last name, okay? I bow my knees unto the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Ephesians three fourteen and 15, Paul's praying for believers, and he says we all get the name of Jesus, all the Christians, everywhere, at any time in history. We're, we're supposed to act like the guy whose name we got. And these four guys, these four boys, I want you to learn their names, Okay? Especially, you know, most of you learned the wrong names if you went to Sunday school when you were my age. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. Why? Because every one of those names is an attribute of the God who they worshipped. God is a judge, Daniel. God is gracious, Hananiah. God is strong, Mishael. God helps, Azariah. And here's what the enemy does. He says, no, you're Belteshazzar. Bel, Baal is your king. It's the same false god as Zeus or Jupiter. In, in other mythologies. And you are, you're going to be Shadrach, all right? And you're going to be Meshach. You're going to be Abednego. Shadrach, Abednego, you guys are going to be from, from Shaq and Nebo, and those are versions of the son of, the son of Baal. We, we call him Tammuz in some religions. They call him Eros. They call him Hermes a lot. They, call, they have a lot of other names for him in other religions. It's a false god's false son. Oh, and, and uh, Meshach, you can have the girl's name. Shaq, she's the goddess, Venus Aphrodite. She's the pretty one. Great name for a young man. Look what's going on here. (laughs) They're renaming these kids whose names were glorifying the God of the attributes of God and saying, no, you belong to these false gods. You belong to these idols. 
You do, you're, Satan wants to take your abilities and use them and twist them and warp them so that you give glory to things that don't even exist instead of to a God who is very, very real. He wants to confuse you about you are, who you are. All right? And, and he wants you to eat the meat and things. We're going to get to that in just a second. But, uh, you've got to understand then, well, why not the meat? So choose your battles wisely. Here's the Daniel 8, 1, 8. Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now God had brought Daniel into favor and tender love with the prince of the eunuchs. And the prince of the eunuchs said unto Daniel, I fear my lord the king who hath appointed your meat and your drink. For why should he see your faces worse liking the children which are of your sort? Then, then shall you make me endanger my head to the king. Then said Daniel to Melzar, whom the prince of the eunuchs had set over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Prove thy servants, I beseech thee, ten days. Let them give us pulse to eat and water to drink. Let our countenances be looked upon before thee, and the countenance of the children that eat of the portion of the king's meat. And as thou seest, deal with thy servants. Okay, so here's, we, we, we've got a plan. I'm going to draw a line. Set a line of demarcation. Draw a line in the sand and say, this is, I'm not going past this. Know why you're setting it. The meat, probably meat offered before idols. Specifically, Isaiah 46.1 tells us, Bel, that's that Bel to Shazar, boweth down, Nebo stupeth, their idols were upon the beasts and upon the cattle. Carriages were heavy loaded, they were burdened to the weary beast. Here's what they did to the animals in Babylon. They stamped the symbol of the false god on their head and then used them to carry the idols around the cities. I probably shouldn't eat the meat of the cow that was used for that, right? I mean, at least in the nation of Israel. Meat offered before idols. That's still a problem in the New Testament. Paul's dealing with it. No, it really doesn't matter, and, and yet goes against, directly against what God had told the Israelites. And the wine and all these things. You read Daniel chapter 5, and you find, see them doing this. They have a big party, and that's exactly what they're doing, offering wine and things to false gods. So Daniel draws a line. He says, I'm not going to break that rule. I'm not going to go past that. And then he has to set up, okay, I'm not going to go past this line. I've set a line of demarcation. Now, how am I going to do that? You've got to have rules of engagement. You're in a battle. What are the rules of engagement? First, <laughs> the people around you aren't your enemy, right? Recognize the chain of command around you. Figure out how you cannot needlessly offend the lost world. There's going to be times where you have to offend them because they disagree with you, but you don't need to do it just because. Okay? If you go out and you work as hard as you can at your job, you do the best you can in school, I guarantee you most of the time, lost men, lost bosses, lost teachers will reward you for doing hard work. Not all the time. But if you go out and say, ah, whatever, I don't have to write that report on evolution because it didn't really happen. Would you write a report on Greek mythology? If the Greek mythology teacher asks you to? Okay, then if they ask you to write a report on evolution, just, just write the report. You don't have to believe it. You know, it's, it's like meat offered before idols. No big deal. You know better. Draw a line in the sand. Figure out how you're going to care about this plan then. Daniel has a plan. He says, I'm... Here's the deal. Test us. Prove us for 10 days, all right? Says unto them... Just, just test us for 10 days. And he goes through the chain of command. He doesn't have a fit when the prince of the eunuch says no. He just, he just goes to the next guy down the line. Melzar, he's the steward. He's the guy who actually brings them the food and says, hey, try this. 10 days, let us eat the, the water and veggies. Okay, test it out. Now, what are you going to do when you're in a situation and you say, you know what, God wants me to do this. Hey, uh, I really don't want to do that. Can we do this instead? And they actually take you up on the offer. 
act, in de- act, act on your determinations. You, you actually have to do what you said you were going to do. You, you can't make plans and say, well, I'll do this, God. If you'll get me out of this jam, I'll do this, and then not do it. Is if the lost world sees you not doing, not following through on things, you're a hypocrite. If Daniel and his buddies say, just give us the fruit, the, the, the water and veggies, and, and, we'll, and then he says, okay, let's do that. And they're like, oh, no, wait, can we have a little bit of meat, just not the pork? No, you've you got to do what you said you were going to do. And then act in determined faith. You live with the plans that you made, and you trust God to make the rest work. They, he consented to them, verse 14, in the matter, and proved them ten days. They have no power over what happens to their bodies for those ten days. They're just obeying God. At the end of ten days, their countenances appeared fairer and fatter in flesh than all the children which should eat the portion of the king's meat. So Melzar takes away the rest of it. Trust God. This is the hardest part, especially for us old people. Trust God to t- come through for you. All right, now so the end here. Choose your victories. Accept reprieves. Advance or retreat. They win. They win this little battle when they're kids. They've stepped behind enemy lines. They've acted on faith. Now the battle's over. Now what do you do? Here's your reward. We're going to make you eunuchs, and you get to live here for the rest of your life. Yay. Accept the reprieve. You know what? The world stops beating on you after you obey God if the world gives you a reprieve. If it's three years, if it's four years of college or seven years of college or however long people go to college now, and you, you get along fine, good. Take it. Take the rest. Keep doing what God said. Have hope. And, and, and then you have to make a decision, though. After you come through a hard time, after you've stepped out on faith, you need to decide, am I being called by God to get out of that situation so that it won't happen again? Or am I being called to step forward in faith and take it? For 70 years, the nation of Israel was captives. How much good do you think it did them to have Daniel, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael as four of the chief rulers of the kingdom? They paid a heavy price to be there. But for 70 years, the Jews in Babylon lived way better than the, the few that were left in Jerusalem in the, in the destroyed city. It's no small. And, and Daniel gets to live through the whole thing and he becomes a chief counselor to Cyrus. And what does Cyrus do? He says, oh, all you, all you Jews, all you Hebrews, go back, rebuild your city. Here's your stuff. Do you think possibly Daniel, as his chief counselor, was saying, hey, Cyrus, this is what God said to do. Oh, and check it out. He prophesied about you in Isaiah a few hundred years before you were born. God doesn't make mistakes. He, he's the one who puts you in the positions you're in. He's the one who throws you behind enemy lines. He will give you the grace to withstand whatever temptations you come in. He wants you to learn to use your talents and your skills for his glory. And when you run into opposition, understand who the real enemy is and and be used of God. Let's pray. Father God, um, and I thank you. I thank you for your words. If... uh, by your spirit, I just, I just beg you to, to, to convict the hearts, to make these things clear and plain, that, that these kids especially will understand what it, what it means to, 